Galatians chapter 1, we're continuing this morning what we're calling God's space, learning to walk in that space, walk with the Holy Spirit um, away from legalism and away from just very uh, liberal thinking in our theology, right? Sometimes we can get in this mindset of I'm free in Christ, so I can do whatever I want. We don't want to walk in there. We don't want to walk in this legalistic mindset of these rules and regulations that God has set out. But in Galatians, what we see is walking with the Spirit of God in freedom, and we're calling that the God space. And so that's the whole book of Galatians here. In Galatians chapter 1, we're going to read two verses this morning. And if you will stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. Two verses. God's Word says this, Galatians 1 verses 11 and 12. As we continue verse by verse through this book, Paul says these words, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin, For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it. But here's our key phrase this morning. But it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for just, Lord, even us just being able to celebrate so far the baptism with Christopher. Lord, I pray now as we walk through these couple of verses together that your spirit would speak very clearly to us this morning. God, that you would give us ears that we need to hear from you, hearts to receive your word expectantly today. And God, would you give us the hands and feet, Lord, to live out the truths that we encounter in this book this morning, the truths that you teach us as we walk through our Monday through Saturday and the remainder of the week. Your spirit's welcome among us this morning, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, at some point in our lives, and this is where we got the title for the message today, at some point in our lives, many of us have likely heard these words or something similar. What I believe are dreaded words, I know they were for me, but the words were this, it's time to go to the eye doctor. It's time to go to the eye doctor. Why do you go to the eye doctor? Because you're not seeing as clearly as you thought you were, and you need somebody to help you correct your vision. For me, that happened when I was around second or third grade. I had to go to the eye doctor and get my first pair of glasses. I've worn corrective lenses ever since then. And the eye doctor has become, notoriously for me, one of my least favorite places to visit. Here's confession time this morning. I wear contacts, if you didn't know that. I touched my eyeball this morning, if that'll freak you out. But I wear contacts, and I hate the eye doctor so much that I haven't actually been to the eye doctor in about four or five years, I think was the last time I went. Because I don't like when they put you in that little head contraption. You all know what I'm talking about? And the eye doctor casually will start talking to you. Tell me about your family. How many kids do you have? How long have you been married? Where do you work? And they put that puff of air in your eye. I'm 33 years old. I still don't know what that's for. I I think back. This is is good preaching today. The eye doctor, I don't remember doing this as a kid, but when you leave now, what do they do? They put those drops in your eyes to dilate your eyes. You can't see clearly. Then they say, have a safe drive home. (laughs) They're setting you up for failure. And the worst part of the eye doctor, this is why I can't stand it, is because you sit down in that chair in the dark room, it's you and the eye doctor, they put the letters up on the wall, and the questions are simple. Which one's clear? One or two? I think two. (laughs) Two or three? I don't know. Three or four, and it's like, I don't even know. Just give me glasses. I'm ready to go home. You know, we've all been in that situation before. It's why I don't like the eye doctor. But you know what? I'm thinking about this this week as we approach Galatians 1 here. You know, every time that I actually do go to the eye doctor, I leave thankful. 
because I didn't realize I wasn't seeing as clearly as I thought I was. And because an expert stepped into my life, they stepped into my circle, I'm actually able to leave that environment with my vision now clear once again. What's the role of the eye doctor? They bring clarity to what's unclear in my life. And you know, often in multiple areas of our lives, not just our vision, but there's so many realms of our lives that we may not even realize that we're seeing unclear that we may have been influenced by outside sources and we don't even realize that the way we view things and our vision and what we believe is actually not clear and we need an expert to step in and help us see with clarity. And that's what Paul is beginning to do for us here in Galatians 1. Joe did a fantastic job last week setting the stage for the next several chapters of Galatians. Paul is stepping in really for these churches and for us today as well, helping bring clarity to the gospel, which if we're not cautious can become unclear in our lives, outside outside things influencing us, changing us, fuzzying up and causing our vision to get blurry in regards to the gospel. Let me catch us up real, real quick if you haven't been with us for a couple of weeks. Last couple of weeks in Galatians, we've covered so much ground in this book. We saw in the book of Acts where Paul left the church in Antioch and he went on his very first missionary journey. From Acts chapter 9, his conversion on the Damascus Road where Jesus intersected his path and changed his life. From there, he grew up there in the church in Antioch and then as they were fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit called him and Barnabas to go out and take the gospel to the Gentile people. Paul went, preached the the gospel among the Gentiles. We saw later in Acts 14 specifically among the Galatians. After Paul left, he came back to Antioch reporting all that God was doing among the Gentiles. God was moving among the nations. The Judaizers show up after Paul. If you don't remember the Judaizers, Acts 15.1 said that they were people who came in and they said, in order to be saved, it's not just Jesus. We believe it's just Jesus. Jesus is who saves. The Judaizers taught, no, 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 it's Jesus plus you have to follow Jewish custom. And if you're a male, you must be circumcised then you can actually be saved. And so Paul had went to Galatia. He had preached the gospel. He came back to Antioch. He's telling them, God is doing amazing things. And then the Judaizers go back to Galatia and they mess it all up. The the Galatians were a to and fro people. They were easily swayed. And so Paul's frustrated now. He's frustrated because he has to write this letter back to the Galatian people. And he says, you knew the gospel. I told these truths to you. You had received them so eagerly. But now you're turning to something different. And here in Galatians, and we see him beginning to do this, Paul started in verses 6 through 10 with a very aerial view of the gospel, explaining the situation. And now he's starting to bring things a little bit more ground level for the Galatian readers. Clarity to what they were unclear on. And so I want to give us two points today. If you like to take notes or write in your Bible, two things that you can write down to help you remember these verses. First off, Paul addresses what they heard, what you heard heard. So he's addressing here what the Judaizers came in and taught the Galatians after his departure. Acts chapter 14 and 15. We saw that. Look at verse 11 of Galatians 1 again. Paul says, for I want you to know. Here's our clarity verse. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. There's so much going on in this one verse that I don't want us to miss here. So let's tackle it piece by piece. First off, when here's, here's our phrase again. Paul, Paul says, for I want you to know I'm offering you clarity about the gospel in which I brought to you. 
Again, Pastor Joe did a great job last week. If you weren't here or didn't get to listen to that, get on our podcast or our YouTube and jump back and, and listen to what he had to say about this. But the Galatians, as I said a moment ago, they were this people that were tossed to and fro. If you remember in one instance there in Galatia, when Paul and Barnabas first showed up and they did a miracle, the Galatians wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. So Paul capitalized on the opportunity and he said, no, 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 don't worship me. Let me tell you about Jesus who you should worship. And then this group of false teachers comes in and what happens? The Galatians end up stoning Paul. In a matter of probably a couple of hours, they go from we want to worship you to we're going to kill you. They were a very to and fro people. But even despite those challenges, we saw in Acts chapter 14 that when Paul came back around to Galatia on the backside of that missionary journey, that there were actually churches that had been started in that region. Despite their to and fro nature, the Galatians let the gospel take root in their souls and churches were started. But as we said a moment ago, those Judaizers had showed up. They confused them how to be saved. It wasn't just grace through faith. The, the Judaizers said grace through faith plus circumcision and adherence to the Mosaic law. They're coming in and they're saying, hey, that Paul guy who brought you the gospel not a, a short time ago, he, he's changing things on you. He's a people pleaser, in fact. Because Paul earlier, if you remember, Joe talked about with Titus and Timothy. He, he, he handled circumcision differently with both of those individuals depending on the audience who he was talking to. And so the Galatians, the, the, the Judaizers come to the Galatians and they say, Paul's lying to you. It's not just Jesus because he has this disciple over here that he made get circumcised. But he has this disciple over here who he says, no, nah, you don't need to be circumcised. Paul's telling you two different things. He's just telling you what you want to hear. And Paul writes this letter and he's a little angry. He's a little frustrated with this church. He's irritated with the Judaizers because he's like, I'm not preaching a false gospel. I'm being all things to all people. Think about this for a second. If you were to go to China right now and go stand in a city street somewhere and preach the gospel, yet you preached it in English, would it be effective? They wouldn't have a clue what you're saying. They would have no respect for your message. But you do that very same thing here in America. You preach in English. What happens? People can hear you. They can have a respect for what you're saying. When you step into other cultures and other people groups, you need to adapt your methods we adapt the method, but we don't change the, the, the message. That's what Paul's doing with these groups of people. In order to get their respect, in order to earn their respect, in order to communicate clearly, Paul was changing the methodology. But the message was never compromised, although that's what the Judaizers were claiming. So Paul writes this letter to his Galatian friends, and he says, we're going to correct your blurred vision. Look at, again at verse, one, or verse 11. I, I want you to know. For I want you to know, that's such an important phrase. He used that in 1 Corinthians 15, and I think it's translated differently and better. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. It'll be up on the screen. Same phrase, for I want you to know. Look at how he translates it in 15, 1 of 1 Corinthians. Now, I want to make clear for you. Isn't that good? We could just plug that phrase right there into Galatians 1, verse 11. Paul says, I want to make, I want to make clear for you. I want you to be clear on the gospel. Hey, let's pause here, because this is important. Do you know the greatest tragedy in the world is unbelief in the gospel? That's the greatest tragedy that anybody can experience is to go through this life and have unbelief in the gospel. Because unbelief in the gospel has eternal consequences. 
There's so many tragedies in which we can engage in in this life now that have temporary consequences. Unbelief in the gospel has eternal consequences. And so if we're not clear on the gospel message, friends, the implications of that are gigantic. We don't have any liberties to be unclear on the gospel. This is important too, and I thought this was, was interesting. One Bible teacher I was reading this week said that phrase for, I want to make clear for you. I want to bring clarity to you. Was not Paul coming to the Galatians and saying, hey, I'm here to tell you something new. It's not what he was doing with them. Paul's frustration stemmed from the fact that they knew the gospel and they had turned away from it. Joe talked about that last week a lot. He's not saying, I'm here to bring you some new truth, Galatians, that you didn't know. He's writing them and he says, I told you this, yet you're choosing to follow these yahoos? What is wrong with you? You know the gospel. You see, verse 11 is a compliment of verse 6. Now, for us, I think these verses today are going to serve as a gospel checkup. We're going to review the gospel here in a second. And here's why I say it's a checkup, and I've noticed this in my life. You know that your, your movement from the gospel, your drift from the gospel, might not be as rapid and sharp as the Galatians. The Galatians went from following Jesus to we're going to do all these other things. Most people, it doesn't work that way. Most people, your drift from the gospel is very casual, and it's slow, and it's unnoticed. And if we don't constantly remind ourselves of the gospel, our gospel vision can get so blurred. If we aren't cautious and we don't preach the gospel, we say this a lot, you have to preach your, the gospel to yourself every single day. You have to acknowledge that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose from the grave because I am a sinner in need of a savior and I'm hopeless without Jesus. I have to constantly remind myself of the gospel. Because I can drift from it without even realizing it. Friends, we've heard phrases like this before. I've heard that I've been in ministry for like 13 years. I've heard this all the time. I no longer need the gospel. I've outgrown the gospel. The gospel, I've heard it so many times. I just, I just know it. No, no, no. You have to constantly be reminded of the gospel. Because we can drift from the gospel. Friends, we are influenced by outside cultural norms that say that you need to compromise your belief system and let the gospel adapt to the ever-changing culture. We are seeing that so much in our nation right now. We have to change the way we view sexual ethics. We have to change the way we view people. We have to change all of this stuff. Why? Because the gospel needs to adapt to culture. Here's some news for us. No, don't. The gospel is the gospel. I don't cave on the gospel. The Bible tells me what the gospel is, that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again, and I'm a sinner in need of a savior, and I'm hopeless without Jesus. That doesn't change. The gospel is the gospel. And so Paul writes to the Galatians, and he says, we're going to bring clarity. We're checking on the root system. I want you to be uncompromising in the gospel personally and corporately so that no matter what outside influence comes your way, you say, no, 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 I know the gospel because I tell myself the gospel every day and you're not going to change my mind. Looking at the end of verse 11. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, here it is, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. It's not of human origin. The second half of verse 11 drives us to two important questions to understand what Paul's saying here. What was the gospel that he preached? We talked about this last week, but we're going to do it again because you can't outgrow the gospel. What was the gospel that Paul preached and where did he get it? If it wasn't of human origin, where did Paul get the gospel? So let's talk about that second question. Where did he get the gospel? Point number two is going to be this. What really happened? 
What really happened? Where did Paul get the gospel? Because the Judaizers, we said last week, and if you read this book, you're going to see the Judaizers were accusing Paul of gospel manipulation, saying Paul is just manipulating the message depending on the audience. He's just manipulating the message. That's not what was happening. Paul was manipulating the method, and the message was staying constant. Yet here at the end of verse 11 and the start of verse 12, you can see where Paul's addressing that accusation. The Judaizers are saying, you're manipulating the message, and Paul says, let me tell you what really happened. I didn't get the gospel from a human source, but look at verse 12. For I didn't receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it. It didn't come from any other human being, Paul says. Three, three probable like accusations that the Judaizers were making. Write these down. These are important. Either Paul was making up what he was preaching is one thing they could have been saying based on what Paul says here. Or, or he received it from some outside human, we don't know maybe who they were, but Paul just kind of had an experience with somebody and he was now preaching this made-up gospel. Or the accusation would have been, well, he received the gospel from the other apostles, the other 12 guys, and now Paul is just manipulating what they were saying. He's manipulating what they're saying to fit the context in which he was going. And Paul says, uh, ignore all of that, Galatians. That's not what I was doing. That's not what was happening. He says, the gospel didn't come from a human source. Here's the best part, verse 12. I didn't receive it from a human source. I wasn't taught it. The apostles didn't give it to me. It was none of those things. I got it by revelation of Jesus. Jesus came to me. The gospel that I'm preaching to you, Paul says, is because Jesus intersected my life. We saw that in Acts 9 two weeks ago. Paul's on a journey to Damascus to imprison Christians, followers of the way. A light shines around him. Jesus intersects his path, and Jesus changes the life of Paul and tells him, you're going to take this life-changing message of salvation by faith in me to all nations. It's no longer reserved for just the Jewish people. It's for everybody. Everybody can enter into God's family. I thought this was kind of cool. Toward the ends of Paul's life, when you read the gospel in Acts chapter 9, it's rather brief. But when you go to other writings that Paul had, and where Luke records this incident in Acts chapter 26, you begin to see with a little bit more clarity what Paul experienced on the Damascus road in Acts chapter 9. So in Acts 26, you can turn there if you'd like, he's standing before a guy named King Agrippa. Paul's awaiting trial. He's about to be killed not too far from this moment. He's awaiting trial, and he's making a defense for himself. Right? Why he shouldn't be killed. He's making a defense for the gospel. And he gives us a little more insight into what happens in Acts chapter 9. Check this out. We all fell to the ground. So, so Paul's heading to Damascus. The light shines around him. He says, we all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So this is Jesus speaking directly to Paul. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now you're probably reading that like, what in the world is a goad? Uh, it's a farming tool. It's, a, it's like a shepherding implement. Think of like a stick with kind of like a pointy end on it. And shepherds would use it to kind of move their cattle in the direction they wanted them to go. And so Jesus is telling Paul, he's like, look, Paul, I've been trying to propel and prod you this direction. And you keep kicking up against me and you're going to poke yourself. Just do what I need you to do. He says, it's hard for you to kick into the goat. So Paul asks, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I'm Jesus. See, when Jesus intersects your life, you know what? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. But get up and stand to your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. Here it is. To appoint you as a servant and a witness 
of what you have seen and will see of me. He said, I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. And then watch, I'm sending you to them to do what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from sin to freedom, from bondage to freedom, from the power of Satan to God. Why? So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, the Gentiles are invited into the family of God. We have an inheritance in heaven awaiting us. And that's the gospel that was given to Paul. So what does Jesus remind Paul here? What is Paul reminding the Galatians in these two verses? Friends, this is so important. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a man-made story that was passed down by a bunch of goofballs in some, some weird way. I don't even know where to take that. That's not what's going on here. The gospel was not contrived in the mind of Paul. Let's be honest. If you and I had to figure out a way to save the entirety of humanity from past, present, and future, we wouldn't come up with the gospel. The gospel was born in the mind of God. Paul says, I'm not manipulating anything that was taught to me. Rather, Jesus told me this. And I've been sent with the message that there is a rescue mission from heaven coming for all people. That anybody and everybody who will repent of their sin and give their life back to me, that they can have an inheritance in heaven waiting for them. Friends, Jesus is the giver of the gospel. Jesus is the essence of the gospel. Jesus is the substance of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus, and Jesus is the gospel. It's not Paul's gospel. It's not your gospel. It's not the apostles' gospel. It's not a made-up gospel. It's God's gospel, and we're invited into it. We learn it, we obey it, and we follow it. That's the gospel. We don't run from it. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. The gospel is the gospel. We're just invited into it. So, last question. You shouldn't let me baptize before I preach because apparently I get a little more fired up. Somebody also brought me a Starbucks this morning too, so that was helpful. What was the gospel preached by Paul? What was it? Paul, Joe talked about this last week. But again, if you ever get over the gospel, check yourself. You can't. We've got to hear it all the time. So what was the gospel preached by Paul? Here's what I love that you can do in Paul's letters. You can go to any one of them and you're going to find the same gospel. So the gospel that we see here in Galatians is the same gospel in Romans and the same gospel in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Philippians and Ephesians and 1 and 2 Timothy. The gospel message doesn't change. It's saturated everything that Paul wrote. So what's the gospel he brought? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think these two verses give one of the greatest summations of the gospel that you can read in the entire New Testament written by Paul. This was the gospel given to him. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4. For I passed on to you, writing to the Corinthian church, as most important that I received, what I also received. Here's our gospel, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So what's the gospel in three phrases today, friends? Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ has risen. Think about those real quick. Christ has died, Christ died, past tense, Jesus died. You see, the reality is that God created you and I to be in perfect relationship with him. That was the intention, Genesis chapter 3 tells us. We were created to be in perfect relationship with God, created for closeness with the God of the universe. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Walking in the Garden of Eden like Adam and Eve did in the cool breeze of the night with the creator of the universe. That's what we were created for. 
But God in his sovereignty chose to also give us the ability to reject or accept that closeness. Genesis chapter 3 says that Adam and Eve chose to reject that closeness. Why is that? Because the natural tendency of the human heart is towards selfishness. Romans 3 verse 23 says that the natural tendency of my heart is to reject God because I care about myself more than him. That's the natural tendency of the human heart. And my Bible calls that one word, three letters, it's a pretty important word in Christianity, sin. Rejection of God is sin. Rejection of God and placing my wants and desires over the God of the universe is known as sin. You can read about that more in 1 John 3, 4. As a result, because of God's holiness, because of God's character, the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that the result and consequence of our sin is death. You see, God can't overlook sin. I've had that question before. How come God doesn't just overlook sin? How come he just doesn't turn his back on it? He can't. That would be a violation of the character of God. It's an impossibility for him. He's too holy. He's too holy. He can't do it. He can't ignore it because it would go against his character. Instead, sin has to be dealt with. It must be dealt with because of who our God is. And through his holy character, God says sin is dealt with through death. Here's the problem, though. I didn't know if you knew this or not, but you're a finite being, and I am too. I'm finite because I have a starting point, but I don't have an ending point. At some point in eternity past, God decided when Aaron Taylor was going to be existing, August 25th, 1987. I don't have an expiration. I'm just going to change locations. But I have a starting point, meaning I'm a finite being. Our God, though, is not like us. Our God is sinless and eternal. God doesn't have a starting point or an ending point. Here's where the problem arises. For me to pay a sin debt against an eternal being, being a finite being, is an impossibility. That's why without Jesus, for me to pay my own sin debt would take forever. Because I would be paying it for all eternity because I'm finite. I'm not eternal. The only way to absolutely appease an eternal being is another eternal being appeasing it for me. Yet our God is the only one who's eternal. So what did God do? God said, you can't pay your own sin debt. If I left it up to you, you'd have to pay it for all of eternity. You need a sinless eternal being to step in your place. So I'll die for you. I'll pay my own. I'll pay your debt for you. I'll pay the the demand that I have for you. I will pay for your sin. So the God of the universe, and one of the most amazing paradoxes that we will ever experience for all eternity, somehow the God of the universe steps out of the glories of heaven and he steps into the human body. We can't explain it, and here's, here's a little hint for you. Don't try. You're not going to figure it out. How does God, who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, I, was just, I just heard on the news the other day, they're saying that the universe is like 15 million billion light years long, yet my Bible says in Colossians that God holds it in the palm of his hand. I don't know how that works. I don't need to. But somehow my God, who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down in the form of a baby, a helpless servant. He grew up in a man named Jesus Jesus, the sinless Son of God, dies on a cross for you and me. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that our sin was placed on him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says that he who knew no sin became sin. The sin debt that you and I owed God was placed on and in Jesus. The technical theology word is imputation. That all sin, past, present, and future, was placed on Jesus and the wrath of God was poured out upon him. It's why Jesus cried out those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Poured out on Jesus Christ. He died 
because we're sinners. But then Paul reminds us that he was buried. You see, this is a pretty simple truth. Burial is the proof of death. Jesus didn't pass out like some people will try to tell you. There's like the swoon theory. He got overwhelmed and passed out. What? That's not what happened. He died. He was buried. He didn't fake it. He died. And in his burial, we understand two things. That the sin debt that you and I owed a holy God was paid for. We owed God a debt because of our sin and Jesus paid for it. And the relationship with God that we don't deserve was secured for us because Christ was buried. What's our last one? And we're almost done. He rose from the dead. You see, death couldn't beat Jesus. It's impossible. Jesus beats death. After spending three days in that grave, the Bible says throughout the Gospels that on that third day, an angel rolled away that stone. Jesus stood up and he conquered death. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And in doing so, what happens? Eternal life is secured for you and for me. That's the Gospel. And friends, hear me. we got to remind ourselves of that every day. That I am undeserving of the love of God. I am undeserving of the gospel. That I am a sinner who needs a savior. But praise be to God that insteps Jesus on my behalf. So I want to close with this question. I'm going to wrestle through this the next several weeks in Galatians. This is so important. Who's the hero of the salvation story? I hope you heard it over these last few minutes. Who's the hero of the salvation story? Jesus. Jesus is the hero because there's nothing I can do to restore my relationship with God. I'm dead in my sin, the Bible says. I've never seen a dead man resuscitate himself. Have you? If that ever happens at a funeral, call me. I want to come. Dead people don't resuscitate themselves. You need somebody to do it for you. I've never seen a guy who's dying of a heart attack on the side of the road sit there and, you know, with the paddles on himself. Like, I got it. Step away. Doesn't happen. You need somebody to resuscitate you. In steps Jesus. There's no religious good work I can engage in that's going to restore my relationship with God. Judaizers hit the road. You can get circumcised all you want. You can follow all the laws that you want, but you need Jesus. Jesus is who saves. The Bible says he came on a rescue mission for us. And if we confess those sins to God and believe in our heart what was accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection, that we can be saved. And that's the gospel. Do you know Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, may we never get over the gospel. It's the greatest news in all the universe. It's the greatest paradox in all the universe. And thanks for inviting us back into that story. Father, I pray now as we sing that it's a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you.